Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Welcome in team, fabulous to hear have you with me today. I have another fantastic guest for you. I have Lisa Walker who is with Eve Wellness and she is the lead researcher and lead formulator over there at Eve Wellness. Uh, this is all about hormones today. Sort of continuing on our series after the last episode with the wonderful Carrie Jones, we're doing a little bit more of a deeper dive into, into hormones. And we're looking today at, I actually bear my soul and share uh, my latest hormone tests. And we go through that to give a bit of a case study. Uh, we look at men's health. We look at women's health. We look at uh, what influences your genes and how you can, what sort of information you can get from doing these testing. Uh, and why it's sort of absolutely crucial that you have this information. By now, you'll probably have guessed that I'm a big fan of knowing what your hormones are doing, at, regardless of which age you're at, what stage of life you're at, what problems you're dealing with, uh, as a way of prevention, optimization, and helping us age better. Um, very, very important. I'm on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, uh, and it's not for everyone, but you need to know what your your body is doing with hormones and, and how to optimize it, and it can definitely be of use and slow the aging process down, help with bone density, cardiovascular health, brain health, uh, lots and lots of benefits, but you need to understand what your body's doing with it as far as methylation and all that sort of good stuff goes. So we do a deep dive today with Lisa. Um, you may get lost a little bit on the way. That's fine. Just let it wash over you and listen again if you do. <laughs> um, we do get a bit nerdy sometimes on the show, but I think it's really important that we, um, you know, do, do deep dives and we have real experts on and we try to share this information as clearly as possible. Um, so if you're wanting to get your hormones done, please reach out to me, support at lisatamati.com. Um, me or one of my team can get back to you and explain to you what it's all about and how to go about doing it. Um, and do check out what we're doing over at lisatamity.com. Check out all the podcast episodes. Share this with your family and friends, guys. If you like the content, like the show, we really, really appreciate it. It is a labor of love. Uh, we've been doing it now for eight years, and we do appreciate our uh, uh, patron members who support the show and help us keep us on air and keep it free to air so that we can keep this good educational content and having real experts on. Uh, we appreciate you guys so, so much. Thank you very, very much. Uh, now over to the show with Lisa Walker. Hey everyone and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today I've got a superstar for you. I have Lisa Walker who is the lead researcher and formulator at Eve Wellness. Welcome to the show Lisa. Fantastic uh, to have thank you. Thank you for having me and by the way I love your name. It's great. <laughs> it's a great name isn't it? So it must good. be the best name in the world. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, Lisa, you are uh, a nerd when it comes to the science. You are an expert in hormones. And when, today we're going to do a deep dive into hormones. I've been doing a little bit of a, a series around hormones. So this is really, really exciting. Um, I was super excited to see that I've been working with Be Pure and having their supplements. And now you've got this sort of sister brand, Eve Wellness, where you're doing uh, supplements for, for hormones, basically putting it simply yeah. and you've also got the eve wellness test which was really really interesting and we're going to dive into a little bit today 
I'm going to open up my test. <laughs> so be my soldier of the world, sort of, so to speak. And we're going to go through a little bit, you know, what I'm, I'm pacing, just so that you can get a picture of a case study. Cool. Um, and also then talk a little bit to uh, hormones and how they work and what you need to be aware of. So where do you think we should start, Lisa? If we, if we maybe start with my um, test and then work down from there, then we can actually back into the actual hormone cascade and what, what it's doing and where it's going. Do you yeah, think that's a good approach? Yeah, I think um, just to start off, though, just to highlight um, uh, our e-wellness business, we started with testing. That's the origins of the company is us uh, knowing from clinical practice for many years that giving people data is really, really powerful. Mm. So I guess to kind of put that in context for you, people will be very ready to, to consult with Dr. Google on their symptoms, but one symptom can translate to a whole bunch of different hormonal presentations and people can very readily take advice from Google and then end up with the wrong recommendations, which can make things worse. And so being empowered with knowing what's going on for you can give you the right information that you need to address your hormones because your symptoms might look like somebody else's, but you might find that your hormonal results look quite different. And so what we do um, with our EVE testing is we take a urine sample from you we then analyze that through a fancy machine we call an LCMS. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we then produce a report for you, which is, I think, now 29 pages. We yep. measure 19 hormone metabolites yep. in the system to give you kind of a full picture of the entire hormone cascade. And what comes with that is personalized dietary, lifestyle, and supplement recommendations. So it is a full shebang. We try and keep it... Um, away from the nerd side as much as possible. The nerd information is there to be had by all means. Yeah. We often find people just want to know what on earth yeah. do I have to do? Like it's very nice to see words that are all sciencey on the paper because it means it's legit and it's a reflection <laughs> of my, my biochemistry. Yes. But I just want to know what do I have to change and why yeah, do I have to what, change it? Yeah. And what's going on in my world. That's that's a really good intro. Thank you. Thanks for that because it it is such a great report. Um, and I think understanding your hormones and your metabolites and, you know, why urine testing um, versus serum testing, can you explain the difference in, in that and why metabolites are so much more powerful in, in information giving? Yeah, cool. So there's a couple of ways you can measure hormones. We can use saliva, we can use serum, and we can also use urinary metabolism. The reason why we chose to use urinary metabolites is it helps us to see the breakdown of the hormones and how the body is utilizing them or how it's getting them out of the system, which can give us so much more information than just where is progesterone and estrogen at, for example. We do it at a very specific part of the cycle, which is, I guess, in reference to our ranges, but also at the part of your cycle when your body should have produced progesterone from ovulation. And it's when your body should have a relative level of estrogen and testosterone in it as well. So what we're able to really see with that is not just the what is happening, but the why behind it. So we can then talk to people about, you know, how your blood sugar management plays a key role in your hormonal health, how stress management plays a key role in hormonal breakdown and well-being, how coffee and alcohol can play a role in our hormonal yeah. health and well-being, why you might need more um, brassicas vegetables. For a lot of clients, we end up talking to them about uh, a need to look after their gut health because we've gone through their initial questionnaire and they've mentioned all these GI symptoms. And then we look at the breakdown of their estrogens and we're like, oh, that's not okay. Actually, your gut's not functioning well. That's going to play a huge role in how your body's metabolizing your estrogens. So it's really giving people that full body picture so you can make a complete recommendation. Whereas in serum, we can only really see what progesterone levels are like floating around in the blood. And we can see what estrogen is like floating around in the blood, which doesn't really give me much more than what the hormones 
are doing in the body at that time on that day. I don't know what your body's doing with that. And that creates a, um, a less useful picture other than you need to support ovulation because progesterone's low, or maybe you need to support estrogen detoxification. I'm not sure which part of that hormone detox cascade needs support. I don't know why. So our Eve test gives you that kind of extra insight as such. Yeah, so when we say the word metabolite, it means that the hormone that was produced, and we'll get into where and what was produced, um, the metabolite is then is is the thing that is being made into. So, you know, hydroxylation, methylation, sulfation, glucuronidation, all of these fancy big words are <laughs> what the body does to get the estrogens or the testosterones out of the body again. Because once they've done their job, they need to go. And when they don't go appropriately, <laughs> that's when we can have some issues and, you know, we can d- dig into that. So that is what a metabolite is, is the metabolized form of the estrogens. And this is why having that full breakdown gives us a power of information for things like, you know, what, what are your phase one and your phase two detox pathways looking like? What is your, your, your gut health looking like in, in regards to, you know, the, these parts of it? Um, so this is really much more detailed information and then you can make more specific. So what stage in the cycle for a, for a woman? And this is by the way for men as well. Um, it, it, I know women, you know, get the most of your time with, with hormones, but I really encourage the men that are listening to, to understand where your hormones are at because it has a hell of an impact. Uh, if you can optimize, you know, where your body's at hormonally. Um, and, and men, our men can be very much impacted from things like xenoestrogens, which, you know, um, toxins and things in the environment, herbicides, pesticides, glyphosates, all of that sort of stuff affecting their estrogens. And so, so, so can women. Unfortunately, we can't always measure all of those xenoestrogens yet, from what I understand. Correct me if I'm yet wrong. being the key word in that sentence, right? <laughs> yeah, coming. so yeah, because that will be great once we sort of can, you know, quantify the actual estrogen, xenoestrogen load as well um, as part of the puzzle. But yeah, so this is for men and for women. But if we look at like where in the cycle does a woman do this test and why is it important at that point in the cycle? Cool, awesome. So... Um, every single female will have a different cycle length. We're not all the classic textbook 28 days. Yep. So the part of your cycle that lengthens and shortens is the first half, your follicular phase. Mm-hmm. That's the part that's variable. The second half of it, if you ovulate, is roughly around a 14-day period. So if you take the end of your cycle, minus 14 days, and then plus five to seven, you found the window we would do our testing in. And the reason seven. being is we were hoping we're hoping that you've ovulated and we can actually have a look at your progesterone coming through in your urine. If we catch you too early, we might miss the opportunity for ovulation and so we don't see that progesterone. And we might go, oh, you're anovulatory. You haven't quite had an egg released this month. There's no progesterone in the system, um, which can be a false positive. So we make sure we do it at the right part of the cycle to optimize getting the right results. Okay, and, and for women who, you know, like me going through menopause, perimenopause, they've got irregular cycles, is then is it not possible for them to do it? No, definitely possible. And it's just different. Um, it's just understanding it's different information. So during that part of life, you're going to be going through anovulatory cycles. That is the yep. hallmark of early menopause or perimenopause is that our ovaries start to go, yeah, I'm not so good at this ovulation thing. I kind of used up all my good eggs earlier on in life when we're trying to optimize fertility. I'm at this phase where I'm kind of getting rid of the duds now. And so going to make a lot of estrogen, but maybe not quite produce progesterone from ovulation. 
Um, and so we're really looking at there, what part of that journey are you in? So in the first part of that menopausal journey, you'll find there's a lot of high estrogen that comes through. And so it's more around helping support clearance and then supporting balance as mm-hmm. estrogen starts to leave the system. Clearing estrogen is not as helpful. We need to sort of promote the nervous system function and then kind of balancing out our estrogen waves to get less of those crazy heavy cycles and the more frequent cycles. Yeah. And then from then we're looking at estrogen's gone, progesterone's gone. Now we've got hot flushes and night sweats. Yeah. So now we're looking at a very different recommendation again as you transition through that kind of later phase of menopause. Yeah. Um, and it's not always hallmarked by the fact that periods are gone. Symptoms can show up sort of in that order roughly. Um, but you might lose your period somewhere as you transition from, uh, I guess, the kind of hot flushes and nervousness, or you might lose it down here. So it depends on the person, how their body's showing up with that change. Yep. And and this is um, also young women can have amenorrhea where they're not getting their periods or, mm. um, you know, I, I know of young women who are actually having hot flushes and stuff and people say, well, that can't be happening because you're young. It can happen because if your if your hormones are out of balance, these symptoms will show up. Um, and you know, so if you are a young woman and you're experiencing things like that, or you've lost your period, it really would pay to to go and have a look. Why it isn't just like oh, it's normal and it's good. You know, like yeah. we want to, we, we should be cycling. We you know, we need to understand what's going on. Um, and this is for me. This I wish I'd had all this information as a young woman. Um, me too. Yeah, so if we dive a little bit into uh, my report, just to give you a bit of a case study, um, you know, to give people a little bit of background on on where I'm at. Um, So I'm 54, I'm menopausal, going through the menopausal changes, have been for a while, Um, started having menstrual cycles at 12, so fairly normal, but was stuck on the pill at 13 or so. because I had very heavy periods that would last for months on end mm-hmm. and a lot of cramping, a lot of uh, really, really heavy blood loss, uh, anemia, all of those sorts of things. So the doctors back then, and I wish I'd known what I know now, uh, stuck me on the oral contraceptive pill because that balances everything out and stops all that horrible symptoms, which it did. Yeah. However, it was like a band-aid on a festering sore obviously uh later on in life i worked out that i had adenomyosis uh fibroids that then developed later on whether you know i was on the contraceptive pill for then decades Mm. uh of course we now know that the oral contraceptive pill has many many ramifications and that it shouldn't be just willy-nilly like a woman should have the, the right to have the contraceptive pill but you need to understand the implications for that on the gut health, on thyroid health, on your mental health, on your cycle, on your ability to have children later, you know, it it impacts all of these things, um, what you're doing with your estrogen metabolism. So just to give people a little bit of a background, now going through through menopause, um, I am on hormone replacement therapy, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Um, So that's sort of the back picture, right? Um, the other one thing is that I have a very high stress lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. type A personality, running multiple businesses, have a disabled bub, caregiver, it's full on, right? Um, so that's always a, uh, what I, what I, what I talk about too is that during menopause, stress has a, is a double whammy. 
it's really detrimental like it's worse than when you were younger and you had ovaries that were working so let's give a bit of a background a bit of a backstory can you have a look now at my case if you like and we can talk people through it now this is um video but we'll do it as just a podcast right so that people um yeah don't have to see the visual just to to know what we're talking about but yeah first of all i just want to acknowledge what journey you've been on wow (laughs) (laughs) lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, especially the fibroids, miscarriages, things like that. Um, yeah. That was really tough, but I had fibroids really badly in my late 40s mm. um, to the point of, you know, having to have blood transfusions every week because just constantly bleeding out and the doctor's saying, you have to have a hysterectomy or you will die, and me going, no, I'm not going to have a hysterectomy and I'm not going to die, and managing to getting the right uh, fibroid taken out. I worked out that there was one pedunculated fibroid that was causing all the drama. Got that one taken out. Bob was your uncle. I managed to keep my ovaries and my, my, my uterus, which for me okay. was very important. I was still mm. trying at that point to go through IVF and so on. So it was very important that I had a uterus, right? Of course. <laughs> and ovaries. And I didn't want to age quicker because when you go through um, menopause, obviously you start to age at an accelerated rate. So all of that sort of stuff I was aware of. So I fought like crazy to keep it all, which I managed to do. Um, well so yeah, just well done, just a bit more background, but yeah, that's awesome. And I think it's um, just to kind of highlight on your journey a couple of things. We go into results. One is the hormonal constitutive pill can be really helpful for people in situations like yours, particularly adenomyosis, endometriosis, using. Marinas and those kind of things can be a really big win for mitigating symptoms, but we still need to go in and address the underlying cause, like exactly. conditions. Um, and when it comes to like early menopause or having a hysterectomy, um, it can be a saving grace in terms of flooding periods and ongoing yep. anemia, but it does come with its own consequences. And I often think people aren't given those consequences before they make the choice. Informed um, decisions is what totally. we're wanting. Informed consent. It's part of the uh, part of the model. It should be knowing what you're getting yourself into. And I think we get a lot of results come through where women have had full hysterectomies in the last one to five years, and they are in horrific states of menopause. They're like, wow. what is going on? You're like, well, wow. you, you had a hysterectomy. They're like, but I still have my ovaries. You're like, yeah, but your yeah, endometrial yeah. lining still makes hormones as well. And they're like, ah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, <laughs> so nobody told me that. Yeah, so it's it's fascinating to see. And my ovaries you, you are often not working after a hysterectomy, even when they leave them in, because, of course, they get mm-hmm. damaged in the operation, so you, you, you're not necessarily producing, you know. Yeah. No. Do your research before, you know, and, and you know, um, it, there is times when it's absolutely necessary, you know. Okay. And, and anyone else would have done it, but I'm stubborn as all shit. <laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> All right, results time. Okay, cool. So I think for me, when I'm going through and doing the quality control for our lab results, essentially to give people context on how deep we dive on your results, you send us a dried urine stick. Our lab then puts it through an amazing machine. Our PhDs um, evaluate it and send it through to me. I go through that batch of results, compare it with signs and symptoms for every single individual. Wow. Then question mark, do we need to retest this one? Does this person need a fresh sample? Is there any confounding variables we don't have in their intake form that we need to know about? Should we give them a call and iron that out with them? And then that gets approved. That gets uploaded to our personalized database, which then um, a individual consultant will go through and write your report. So I'll write you a one-page blurb, and then I'll go through and hand-select 
uh, a number of dietary lifestyle and supplement recommendations for you, usually three of each because it's kind of what's tolerable for people. And mm-hmm. we kind of pick the top ones that you really need support with and go mm-hmm. from there. But we evaluate that in context of your medications you're currently on, what supplements you're currently taking, all that kind of that's stuff. That's full so on. I know it's what a full consult. Like. Full on. Yeah. And yeah. the reason why we do that is because we know that the data is important but the interpreter is more important. Yep, I mean. You have information, but you need the right person to understand where you need to go with things. So, yeah. Looking at yours, your picture is very classic of um, a menopausal case where we would see low levels of estrogen because estrogen is predominantly made in our ovaries. We see um, low levels of progesterone, which we would have a look at as being anovulatory. We might report, report back to you being anovulatory cycles. And that is very classic of menopause because the ovaries have stopped working. Um, we then have a look at your kind of overview of your androgens. And I would say, if anything, your testosterone um, is on the lower end. And that is very classical for women as they go through menopause when they're either stressed, which is very much part of your picture, or um, the body is, I guess, uh, doing lots but not getting enough fuel, of which we... I'm really guilty of too. (laughs) They go hand in hand often. (laughs) (laughs) Under eating over exercising. (laughs) Totally. And I think it's interesting that we've got some more research that's come through um, recently to show that we just need more protein as we get older. Yeah. And I know that I guess my mum's generation, the very end of the baby boomers, are from the kind of Jenny Craig's Weight Watchers, the first sort of generation introduced to um, convenience foods, which made mum life a little yeah. bit easier. Not but great. they have a mentality around lower calorie rather than around we need enough fuel for performance and enough fuel for balance and enough fuel for overall function. And cutting calories to an nth degree is not going to help you during that phase of life, but also having more protein is usually not the forefront of their mind. And we know from literature that actually the need for protein for women as they go through perimenopause and menopause shoots up. I'm talking like minimum 1.6-ish grams per kg of body weight. Well, that's, yeah, that's that's quite considerably more than uh, and you know we have this big discussion and you know I talk about it a lot I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting I'm a big fan of you know upregulating your autophagy and getting rid of senescent cells through fasting and things like that uh and exercise um I'm a big fan of weight training for women especially in their 40s and 50s and beyond um so that's probably you know come to my rescue um, mm. the amount of weight training I do because that does produce more testosterone. So I do have a little bit there. <laughs> um, but yeah, probably guilty of not enough carbs, not enough protein. Um, and it's just enough fuel. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting uh, take on it. And then the, the ad- adrenals, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so the hallmark we actually measure for adrenal function because we're not actually looking at cortisol and cortisone. So you um you utilize cortisol in the body and then your um, storage of cortisol in the body as yeah. well. Um, we look at DHEA predominantly because it is largely made in the adrenals. And we actually measure DHEAS. We don't report it as DHEAS because it gets cleaved. Yeah. Um, so when we bring it into the lab, we actually um, desulfate, deglucuronidate all of the hormones to get a full evaluation of them. So they look the same as they move through the machine. So the... Um, LCMS is a light chromatography mass spectrometry system and it utilizes light and mass to transfer things. And so if they're different molecules, they won't move through the system in the same speed, the same pace, which is how we actually measure them. Yep. Um, So we need to make them look all the same to have them move through the system appropriately. 
So DHA for you is actually on the lower end, um, quite low. It does deplete as we get older, but that is kind of our hallmark hormone looking for our adrenal function. And when we see people that are really tired come through or really stressed, we often find that DHA is on the floor. The body's like, yo, can I have a holiday, please? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's with DHEA supplementation. Interesting. Very interesting. uh, God knows what it would be without it. (laughs) You're popping the body out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, we put this in context of your picture, right? So um, we know that, um, well, I guess from anecdotal experience, seeing clients in practice, I know people that utilize OCPs, marinas, deeper provera, they push themselves harder because they don't have the monthly scorecard to tell them, yo, we're not okay. They yep. have this persistent sort of level of hormones in their body, which it makes it easier for you to push yourself to your absolute max. And there yeah. are many options for this in life. We can do this in so many different ways, especially as women where you're trying to manage, I guess, older parents and children yeah. and a job and, 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 and like never before in society have we had women do all, all that and the above. Yeah. Um, so it's super sort of, career ladies as well. Yeah. Superwoman to the max, you know, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. there's a lot going on. Oh yeah. You then throw a inflammatory condition like adenomyosis and some fibroids on top of that. Your nervous system is constantly being pushed by that inflammation. Our cortisol plays a huge role in our body's ability to dampen inflammation. So to give people context around this, if you think about you get a shoulder injury, um, you go to the physiotherapist and they maybe say that you need a cortisone injection. Mm. You Mm. need a stress hormone injection to dampen the inflammation in your shoulder. Lowers um, inflammation, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. oral steroids are another example of yep. that. Inhalers that have steroids in them. So these are all our yep. stress hormone-based medications that help to suppress the immune system. So I was got- an asthmatic too, by the way. So right through childhood, tons of steroids. There you go. So that can also dampen your um, nervous system by pushing the body into a state of being constantly stressed. Um, if you've ever had any steroids, it really does like make you quite jittery and quite. Oh yeah, on yeah. As a kid, you know, luckily I don't take any of that stuff now, and I'm on top of all that. But yeah, that would I had a hell of a lot as a kid, mm. which of Just course would cause damage. Interesting in terms of the context of um, the adenomyosis as well. Like we know that there is a dysbiosis picture that relates to both endometriosis and adenomyosis, wow. um, to the point where there's almost a point where it's going to become not a hormone condition, sort of it's looking like it's more autoimmune, more an immunological dysfunction than it Mm -hmm. is a hormone dysfunction. Hormones definitely go a riot with it because you get excess endometrial lining in places it shouldn't be, which is hormone producing. And you get this consequential, um, I guess, anovulatory cycle component where you don't have the counterbalance of progesterone to suppress that growth of the uterine lining. Yes. Um, But sort of looking more like it's driven by some sort of immune dysfunction. We know that there is a high inflammation state in people with these conditions. We know that uh, sometimes there is um, intolerances to certain things like nickel. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I have. Yep. We know that we can do better on um, like a lower FODMAP diet or when they do certain dietary interventions. Wow. <laughs> You're like, well, that's a microbiome link. What's the gut doing in reference to this condition, which is how we kind of address autoimmunity anyways, is through mm-hmm. the microbiome health um, and well-being. So there's some really interesting components there, but asthma, eczema, um, hay fever, they're all linked to microbiome function as well. And a lot of the cases that we go through and have a look at in our clinic for little people, we're often focusing on their body's ability to get toxins out, but also the body's ability to onboard nutrients, which is all through the gut. Wow. And um, to add to this, like let's, I um, mean, you and I could nerd out for ages. <laughs> for hours. Like, yeah. um, so I do a lot of 
genetic work with um, genetics and studying genetics. So I have um, very poor GST genes, which is your glutathione family uh, mm. genes. So I only have one GST M1, no GST T1, which um, and the GST P1 is the is the worst combination as well. So mm. that means that my ability to uh, fight off respiratory things is is very very poor. So on the canary in the gold mine. So if I walk past the perfume counter, I'm already going. <clears throat> I can't breathe. Um, immediately there's no protection in the respiratory tract and then that often has impacts on the gut health as well so that your linings of your gut is very poor and then I have the GSTP1 uh, GST uh, sorry 9P21 gene where I have the 6G variant (laughs) which means that the linings of the blood vessels are the weakest type so if you think of the lining of the blood vessels as a Teflon coating and you've got your really expensive frying pan and you've got your $2 shop frying pan, I've got the $2 shop, right? Mm. <clears throat> so that means that inflammation in the in the cardiovascular system in general is very, I'm very prone to inflammation. Mm. And I have to, you know, take a lot of fish oils and things and resveratrols and stuff to try to strengthen the blood vessel lining. Mm. Um, so very high risk and prone to strokes, heart, heart disease, and things like that from a genetic point of view. I've lived a lifestyle that's probably not going to increase those risks. Well, some things might have. Um, <laughs> um, but that's, yeah, and when you add that to the picture of the inflammation in the microbiome, and like the microbiome is just so complicated and so amazing and uh, but there's a big piece of this, this combination of looking at your microbiome, looking at your hormones, looking at things like your methylation. Um, and when you get a picture, that complete picture, then you're off to the races as far as what can I do about stuff. Totally. I think you just highlighted as well the fact that um, our hormones are the kids in the back seat. Yes. Asking the parents in the front of the car, are we there yet? Yeah. Have you reached the destination? I want to get out. In the front seat is going to be your microbiome, your nutrient status, and your immune system. They are the drivers of how we experience life. If you think about that from a developmental point of view, babies develop, they get their microbiome that promotes liver function, immune function development, and then we kind of eventually reach puberty and go through hormones. Hormones are the extra thing we get to have when we're doing really well, where our body is fully developed. And it's like, I'm good to go now. I've got everything else in place. That's why we can deal with them and deal without them pre having our I guess, developmental stage and then post-menopause as well. The body can cope at both ends. But your journey really highlights the power of kind of our baseline functions for hormonal well-being and why when we're looking at our EVE tests, we utilize the hormone results to indicate those things and then come back to you with those really important lifestyle and dietary recommendations, which we will talk to in reference to how you're feeling and talk to in reference to your hormonal balance. But they do so much more than that. Yeah, I think that's the key message here for people is to take away that it's powerful to do one thing for your hormones, but it's also really powerful to know that that's going to amend a whole bunch of other things within your health picture. And that's what we're ultimately trying to get people to do is to have a look at their whole being and treat it holistically, but through the lens of hormones. Yeah, I just absolutely love this. And this is all empowering so that you can take the right supplements, have the right diet, do the right types of exercise at the right times of the day. And then, you know, if you come to me and work on the genetic piece of the puzzle as well and do the, you know, have these reports and things done, it just gives a really good picture moving forward for you to actually start to optimize. And, you know, if you look at, if you look at my case, then, you know, 
just because you're in the space, you know a lot of the stuff isn't thing. You've always got it dialed in. It does need to be retested and things. And you, you know, like I hadn't tested for a year. <clears throat> um, and therefore, yeah, I've been too busy looking after everybody else. And oh, hello, I'm not where I was a year ago. So I need to adjust some of the, some of the stuff that I put in. Um, what are some of the implications for, so if we look at progesterone, progesterone happens in the second half of a woman's cycle. It comes from the corpus luteum. When the egg is released, it leaves, uh, this corpus luteum, which, which produces a lot of all of our progesterone, um, <clears throat> helps if you are going to be pregnant, helps you keep pregnant until the fetus is old enough or the embryo is old enough to sustain itself with, um, uh, progesterone. But if you don't have a cycle, like if you don't produce an egg, you don't get the progesterone. I, I'm doing that because of menopause. Other women have got this problem because they've got other issues going on, PCOS, whatever. Um, progesterone is your calming, mm. chill-out hormone. In a zen. Yes, you're in a zen. <laughs> so menopausal women are often missing this in a zen part of their life. <laughs> So, yeah, totally. explain a little bit about progesterone and its role in the body and why the the um, estrogen-progesterone ratio is so important. Okay, cool. So um, where do I start with this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge one. At what age group do we start? So if we're, yeah. if we're looking at a cycling woman who is producing an egg, mm-hmm. is, yeah. has got a healthy, you know, corpus luteum. Cool. Yeah. So I guess there. for your for your ovulatory, um, or for your female that's going through regular monthly cycles, um, essentially as you described, you'll have the brain talk to the ovaries with follicular stimulating hormone. Ovaries communicate back to brain with like estrogen saying, yo, we're doing our job. We're sort of like stimulating some follicles, which will become an egg to release. And then when the brain's like, whoa, I've heard enough estrogen, it will then trigger off the release of our luteinizing hormone and that then releases the egg and we get this development of the sponge-like structure that makes all the progesterone that we get. When we have that in our system, it does a number of amazing things for our body. It's not just there for pro-gestation, pro-keep the baby inside womb until placenta can take a hold of progesterone production and other hormone production in the second trimester of pregnancy. Um, so I'll give you context on this, progesterone has immunosuppressive properties. It helps to dampen inflammation, whilst oh. estrogen, for example, can stimulate our immune system and make it run amok or run more riot. So there's a yeah. sort of a, for example, one of our inflammatory molecules we make um, in our body in response to more of like, I guess, um, allergic type reactions or mass activation or we can get this histamine. Histamine can stimulate estrogen. Estrogen stimulates histamine. You get this kind of bouncing cascade of estrogen mm-hmm. and histamine kind of trumping each other as life goes on. Um, in some cases, that can actually lead to profuse heavy periods. It's not the estrogen that's the problem. It's the stimulation of the immune system and the immune system's response to that estrogen. Wow. Whereas progesterone would come along and go, yo, dude, stop doing that. We don't need any more of that stuff. Can you tie ho? Um, progesterone plays a key role in... Uh, fancy word, neurogenesis, <laughs> brain development and growth, the point where there are studies where they use bioidentical progesterone post-traumatic brain injury yeah, or rejuvenating the brain. 
<clears throat> yep. um, and that's both in men and women because yep. it is a neurosteroid for all of us. Yep. Um, there are some preliminary sort of looks at other brain conditions where it could be helpful as well. And I think it's good to know that both men and women do make this particular substance and it is beneficial for all of us. Yep. I'll um, bring that up. <clears throat> yeah. You've touched on the fact that progesterone is really calming. So it converts into an allopregnanodiol in a first-pass liver, and that then converts into GABA, which is our inhibitory neurotransmitter. It basically is that sensation you get after a glass of yoga or a glass of wine, and that <sighs> feeling. <laughs> Life's um, good. Yeah, and when you don't have it, it can do a bunch of interesting things with your nervous system. Cue the perimenopausal female. That One of the first symptoms women start to notice during perimenopause or as they're edging into it is anxiety. Yeah, I'm a really well-rounded person, and I like. I feel like I can justify the world, and I cope with my kids, and I cope with my job, and I've been okay up until now. At the moment, I really want to climb the walls and scream, and my sleep is not great. I'm really yeah. struggling with calming myself down, even though I am and have historically been quite a calm person who can cope with a lot. Currently, I can't cope with much. What's going yeah. on? And it's often that loss of progesterone buffering our nervous system that seems to um, lead to some of those anxiety symptoms. That is just, and that's so powerful for people to hear. And, and this is not just menopausal women. Often women in their late 20s, even 30s, um, can have low progesterone. So understanding if you that's what's happening to you because, you know, um, the anxiety, like I'm like a, you know, I've always been, you know, emotional but not like, but, you know, lately uh, and after I, I recently had, the current virus that's going around and that threw everything right out. Mm. Um, I could have killed people. I was so angry. <laughs> like, oh, it's just like, <laughs> just like climbing the walls. Like, you know, like your wick was this yeah. short and you just, mm. and that's when I went, actually, I've got to go and test my hormones again because yeah. I think something's been thrown out here. <laughs> and yes, progesterone's <laughs> in the gutter. To put that in context for you, um, Oh gosh, I see every batch come through. I've seen every batch since we started Eve. Wow. 90, 95 to 99% ballpark figure uh, and ovulatory. Wow. Mm. Of, uh, of the, the results. Of the results. The largest majority of them, people are not producing progesterone. I almost get a bit like, whoa, someone ovulated. Yes. Wow. What else is going on? Just interrupting the show to talk to you about something that I'm very, very uh, passionate about, and that's photobiomodulation. For the last seven years, I've been using devices from a company called Vilight.com. That's V-I-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. And I use their devices in mum's rehabilitation with her uh, brain injuries. Um, but this is using uh, photobiomodulation uh, low-level light therapy. It's using the red light therapy and infrared light therapy. And there's a lot of clinical research going on. I'd encourage you to go over and check it all out on vilight.com. And also listen to the two episodes that I've done on this podcast with Dr. Lou Lim and with Peter Adams from Vilight. Um, if you're wanting to find out more, I'd encourage you to look at the research, the clinical research around things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, TBI, uh, autism, PTSD, um, immune system modulation, and it's a it's a very powerful uh, therapeutic uh, that can be used <clears throat> for um, increasing your cellular health. What it does is that on a basic level, that it's, it's using your mitochondria. The mitochondria are very particularly receptive 
to non-ionizing electromagnetic energy to trigger photochemical changes within the cellular structure that are receptive to photons. And at the cellular level, visible red and near-infrared light energy are absorbed by the mitochondria, which are those powerhouses of your cell, which perform the function of producing cellular energy called ATP. And the key to this entire process is a mitochondrial enzyme called cytochrome oxidase C, which is a chromophore which accepts photonic energy or light energy of specific wavelengths. And so it's going to increase your ability to produce ATP. I won't go and butcher the science anymore. I would encourage you to head over to violite.com. And if you do buy any devices, we've managed to uh, get you a discount. If you use the code TAMATI, that's T-A-M-A-T-I with a little T, TAMATI, you'll get 10% off at checkout. So make sure you go and check it all out. Yeah, that's, so is that because you are looking at a subset of people who are having trouble with their hormones and menopausal women and, and things <laughs> like that? Or or is that like across the board, do you think we're not producing, we're not as fertile as we were? Uh, hard to know about the data, but I think it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy from our end in the sense that we are asking people, are you feeling okay hormonally? Do you want to test that? Yeah, and that's true. sort of what the outcome is. But it's the most most predominant issue for most people is progesterone deficiency. Wow. And quite often people will come to us thinking they've got estrogen excess dominance, or estrogen yep. dominance, which we'll talk yep. about. Um, and the reality is they're just flat. Their body just needs support for ovulation and stress. They don't actually need them to clear estrogen the from estrogen. their body or they don't need to go on an estrogen clearing protocol with high detoxification, um, I guess, uh, applications. They just need someone to help them to produce more progesterone and to ovulate to feel better. Um, so when we talk about estrogen dominance or estrogen excess, um, we're talking about the balance between estrogen and progesterone. Now, that doesn't always mean that the body's making way too much estrogen. Um, sometimes it means that you've got enough estrogen, but you're just not ovulating. And yeah. the hormone that needs support is progesterone. And so we'll throw in things like ashwagandha for stress resilience because stress is a huge player on anabulatory cycles. Uh, or we'll throw in something like chase tree, which helps promote ovulation by reducing prolactin, which is a hormone that aids with milk production, but it will rise in response to stress. There's kind of a seesaw between progesterone and prolactin that is there for a reason. You don't really want to be producing milk, trying to feed a baby and have ovulatory cycles that could get you pregnant. You kind of want to yeah. do one or the other because they're both physiologically taxing. The chase tree seems to work by decreasing prolactin to promote ovulation, which is amazing. Wow. wow. Um, the other side of that coin is you might have somebody who um, maybe has got way too much estrogen as well. And we're like, oh, the ovaries are making a lot of it. Why is that? And generally lets um, down to uh, inflammation in the body and the body's needing to produce um, more hormones because that whole inflammation cascade I discussed before. And then we can look at, I guess, those symptoms of estrogen dominance showing up, PMS, um, breast tenderness, heavy periods, painful periods, because there's poor breakdown. So we might have... Um, Estrogen move through the first phase of detoxification, our phase one, which is via our cytochrome P450 enzymes predominantly, mm -hmm. where it converts into this 2OH, 4OH, and 16OH, our hydroxylated estrogens, yep. um, of which the 2OH is the more preferable. It's the one that sort of seems to be the least damaging. Yeah, that's so these, where I'm a superstar. Yeah. You look at my uh, ratios and I'm like, yes, I'm 
My sulforaphane is working. (laughs) There you go. That's it. Broccoli sprouts. Yes. Yeah. I'm big. I I make my own broccoli sprouts and that helps with the 2OH pathway and getting stuff off the 4OH pathway. And that seems to be working. I'm doing something good. Love it. Love it. So good. So that 2OH pathway is considered um, helpful for, I guess, warding off the negative effects associated with these hydroxide estrogens. 4-OH is the most problematic. It appears to be the one associated with DNA damage. So these substances are called depurinating adducts in the research. It basically means they can damage cells and damage DNA, which can lead to damaged cells, leading to cancer being the kind of far end spectrum of that. Yeah. So Uh, when your 4-OH is up, your risk of damaging your DNA and maybe one day developing cancer is increased. So we don't want so much going in the 4 pathway and then you got the 16 and then the 16-OH is the proliferator it is um quite potent estrogen metabolite um which is quite interesting and it can help aid the growth of estrogen sensitive tissue so breast uterine lining in particular is what will aid the growth of and there are a number of things that can change how these pathways work Mm. um but we want to evaluate that in context of what your phase two detoxification is doing so you can imagine my hand is your liver the top end of this is our phase one and it's come through and then we've got five highways which we can get things out of. A couple of these our body uses for our hormone metabolism, so our self-renodation, our glucuronidation, our methylation are part of these packages. Mm-hmm. And essentially it takes these depurinating adducts, these little mm-hmm. um, hydroxylated estrogens and parcels them and then puts them into the urine and puts them into our bowel and gets rid of them. Yep. We then throw in the mix with a bow on top and says, time for you to go. (laughs) And then we get them into our bowel, um, which is where we meet the phase three of detoxification, which still working on how we measure this, but this is um, essentially where you may have heard the word estrobolome come in. Yes, yes, I love that word. Mixture of microbes. Yeah, it sounds very fancy, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes you feel really intelligent when you say Hmm. estrobolome. (laughs) Hmm. It's probably one of the nicer nicer medical terms. (laughs) Um, essentially there's a bunch of bugs that live in your gut that are part of this estrobolome that make an enzyme called beta glucuronidase. What that means is it unparcels them. It basically goes, hey, what's inside here? Oh, look, a 2OH. Yeah, put that Same back in the system. Yeah. Um, so we end up with these recycled estrogens, which are actually more problematic. So um, we often will look at the evaluation of phase one and phase two in reference to production to evaluate what kind of support does this human need. Wow. But to give you context on that, we might have somebody who has really high estrogen, really poor phase one metabolism, and really poor phase two detox. We're going to support all three pathways to help them with that. On the flip side of that, I might have somebody who has normal to low estrogen and not so good metabolism at phase one, and phase two is really struggling. That is a human I would not give them to. Right. Because that person's going to end up with us flushing the little estrogen they have in the system that's active out of the body. It will definitely help with phase phase one metabolism and push down the 2OH pathway more. But if phase two is not working, I'm just going to create more of those 2OHs, which whilst they are considered the more beneficial, can cause problems. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it can still cause DNA troubles. And and it backs up, doesn't it? So if your methylation and your phase two um, detox is is not good, but your phase one is going full board, then you're going to get a sort of a backup of the sink, you know, mm. you're going to start filling the sink up and then not be able to clear them at phase two. So so each one of these three phases is absolutely crucial. And your phase two is looking at um, uh, um, 
So that's your methylation. And then you, you've got your COMPT gene and your MAO gene. Yeah. Um, and you can be just slow with your COMPT. And so your ability to, to process out your stuff is slower. Yeah, so um, COMP stands for catechol or methyltransferase. There are a number of methyltransferase genes in the body or pathways in the body. Mm. Um, so an example is HNMT, which is a histamine methylation pathway. Mm-hmm. So we utilize it. Um, we utilize methylation as a whole process for over 80 different gene substrates in the body to create a whole host of really important functions. One of them is DNA repair, funnily enough, yep. um, and rejuvenation and duplication. So methylation essentially is the production of a methyl substance, a methyl donor we call SAMI. Sounds easy to just call it SAM if you're my yep. dad, but we call it. Um, and that basically goes off and adds to all these pathways to make them work, of which COMP is one. Now, COMP helps us to break down catechols. Um, yep. So you think hydroxyls, um, think cortisol, think yep. epinephrine, yeah, think estrogens as well. Yep. And it helps to um, bind this methyl donor to it and get it out of the body and out of the system. Genetically, some people are better at it than others, but you have to also look at that gene in context with things like MTHFR, MTRR, MAT, um, MTR itself, um, the CBS gate. So you really want to have a look at the whole methylation cascade to see where you might need more because some people, um, maybe the challenge is not B9, maybe it's B12, (laughs) maybe it's methionine, they need more animal-based proteins in their life. Um, Maybe it's... um, you search MT1 or FUT2 yeah. or any of these ones that you know your your ability to absorb or yeah so you be you be but we're not when I started studying genetics I'm like man your B vitamins do a hell of a lot of stuff you know like these and your 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 right. methyl donors right and not just your B vitamins but they're a big player mm. um your yeah. B9s and your B12s and your B12s 3s and 6s and um I I don't. I didn't understand the implication as far as detoxification of your catecholamines, you know, and how big that is in the body's ability to detox the crap that you're putting in there, right? Um, and having think, that optimized is just crucial, you know. I think it's amazing in terms of okay, zo- zooming right out. One of the most nutrient dense parts of the animal we can eat is the liver. Yeah. So if that's true from a nutritional point of view, that means that our liver needs a lot of nutrients to function. It is a really, really important organ. And so one of the top recommendations we make for people when they are looking at detoxification is nutrification. Like you need a lot of nutrients. For example, you need adequate iron levels to help with cytochrome P450 enzyme. You need B1, B2, B3, the whole cascade of them to actually get those parts to work. People often think, "Mm, maybe I'm missing some milk thistle. I need to go and get a herb. And I'm like, just start with the stuff that the body actually needs because nutrients are going to work way more powerfully in conjunction with the herb if you have the nutrients. But the body isn't deficient in herbs, it's deficient in nutrients. So start nutrients first and then use the herbs to top you up as per needed. Then more of the medicine side, this is the essential side. They're called essential nutrients for a reason. Yeah, and I don't um, like liver, so I have liver. You know, I take liver as a supplement. You know, you can take it as a supplement. You know, you either um, love pate or you don't. You know, you either yeah. into it or you're not. Yeah, it's quite the quiet taste. Just go yeah. And so it makes but, sense in terms of like detoxification for methylation, sulfur inundation, all those kind of things that you would need more nutrients to make that work. And that secondary part of the cascade, I know it's sort of a bit of a, I guess, a well-known fact out there that we need um, more vegetables for detoxification, but you actually need adequate protein. All those pathways are protein dependent. <laughs> they need wow. both to be able to function at their best. And so 
I find it really interesting when you look at things online and people are like, do this detox diet. It's just juice. And you're like, mm, where's the protein? Like the yeah. liver needs protein. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, there are yeah, essential yeah. amino acids in our protein structures that we need to actually function every single day. Why yeah. would you take the protein out? I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big fan. I have a um, a product uh, called Perfect Aminos, and it's like all eight amino acids in one, you know. And that's my sort of backup, <laughs> like when I don't get enough protein in the day, just in case. Um, and I know immediately when I haven't had it for a few days, um, cold sores, you know, inflammation, you know, um, all of those sorts of things. And when you have it your 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 hair your skin your you know all of that your gut health all of those things are impacted by having a good amino acid support um uh, so yeah it's just really really crucial to get those amino acids in you know and quality protein mm. you know like a lot of people are like oh well i'll go and have a whey protein shake and i'm like yes but only a very small portion of that is actually going to turn into amino acids you know whereas something like an egg you'll get like 48 percent of it actually turning into amino acids a steak, you get, I think it was about 43% or something like that. Um, so there are different qualities in the proteins and how it's converting in the body, but that's, yeah, I'm going off on a tangent. No, no, I agree with you. It's about the, the profile of the amino acids and it's about yes. how bioavailable they are in our system. How can yes. you utilize them? How readily can you digest them and yep. take them on board? And yep. then you're also looking at the, um, I guess, how many essential amino acids. We know that there are yep. There are a number of them, but there are nine. The body has to consume. They're essential exactly. for a reason. Exactly. Um, and so that's about looking at that as an evaluation, not just how many grams am I, am I getting. We've done a really good conversation discussing, you know, carbohydrate quality and quantity, a really good conversation around fat quality and quantity. Protein's the next one up. Yeah. Level ourselves up here. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why, you know, this, this, this one thing by Dr. David Minkoff with the essential amino acids, it breaks down like 99%. I don't want to sound like a sales pitch, but it's bloody good because it's like 99% utilizable within 20 minutes. It's in the body and it, and I felt the difference. Like I started to repair when I got that, you know, like injuries that I'd had for years. So it's, this stuff's really, really good. You still need your other protein. Don't get me wrong. You can't just live on pills, but it does, it's a, it's a really good backup support. And for somebody who's a bit slack on, you know, getting enough protein in, um, and, you know, for people who are vegetarian or, or things like that, that aren't maybe getting their B12s and their stuff, you, you need to be supplementing this sort of stuff if you don't want to end up. Isn't it a miracle that we survive? We're alive at all. The more you study biochemistry, the more you think like, holy shit, there's so much that can go wrong. <laughs> it's we a miracle I'm breathing. <laughs> complex and such resilient beings. It Amazing. is actually insane what the body can survive. Yep. Um, and I mean, the blessing for me is working with our Eve tests, we see a whole host of things come through. We see cases like yours where people have a list of conditions and we're like, wow, this human's still like on a journey and functioning and doing well. This is incredible. Yeah. Yep. Um, we see it in our clinical practice to the BPO clinic. We get some really um amazing people, just yep. amazing people. They are dealing with so much on their plate, but they're like, go to work yeah I have kids yeah I get up and function <laughs> your test results yeah. don't suggest you should be but okay <laughs> and this is where you can help and then you know mind over matter is also a very 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 important mm. piece of the puzzle so you know Powerful but bits. yeah we are very complex you know and this is why studying this stuff understanding it even though it's complex and people you know we may have lost a few people on this conversation at, at certain points of their discussion go and listen to things again 
You know, like if, if I'm listening to um, a super science nerd like Lisa, uh, then uh, I'll listen a few times until it does sink in, you know, and, and then I'll go and listen to other lectures and, and, and I'll make a picture eventually. Like put the effort into understanding some of these things to your degree that you want to. But when you do that, you're more likely to, t- to take the right food, do the right exercise, do the right regimes because you understand why you're doing it. You know, it's like when I was at school and they said, you've got to do your math. And I'm going, well, what the hell? I'm not even going to use fractions or whatever. What mm-hmm. the hell do I use that for? So I just didn't learn it, right? Because I didn't understand the application. Now you're oh, like wow. afterwards, oh, why didn't they tell me that's how I'd be using it? Yeah, And that's sort um, of, I guess, for us as well. Like I I love understanding the what. I'm a real nitty-gritty mm-hmm. details person where I'll dive right down to the weeds where people are like, what language are you speaking? I have yeah, no yeah. idea what's going on. But being able to zoom out and give somebody a translatable why, like you need to do this to support detoxification of X to make this symptom go away. They go, okay, I've got that. That's good. Yeah. Um, I, I now know why I'm putting broccoli on my plate and yeah. I have a buy-in to my individual biochemical picture, which gives me more impetus to make that change. And this Love space it. that we have of holistic well-being can be really overwhelming. Like you can consult Dr. Google. Instagram can give you advice. TikTok can help you out. Like there's so many things out there. But how do I know what's right for me? It's great to have that information. But what do I do for my unique biochemistry? And that's where it's really powerful to either A, do your learning, B, get someone who knows what they're doing and can translate that data for you. Or see, get a test like ours where and you've got test. someone sitting in the background that can give you something that's yours designed for you and give you some really practical applications you can take forward. Yeah, I love it. I love everything that's personalization. This is the this is the future of where health is going is personalization. That's why I love genetics. That's why I love testing for things. Mm. Test don't guess. And you know, everything costs money. So you're always having to prioritize what you, you know, where you're putting your thing. But if you can get the test done because you'll then know, okay, this is where I'm at. This is the baseline. Okay, I can improve from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's like a warrant of fitness, like yeah. doing this yearly would be ideal, you know, yeah. because then you're just checking in, okay, where am I at in my life stage? Where am I at with my stresses? Where am I at with everything? Okay. I've just got a, a little look under the hood. Totally. And know? we, we grow and evolve across time and across context. And it makes sense to have in the forefront of your mind that what worked for you in your twenties won't work for you in your thirties. What works for you in your 30s won't work for you in your 40s and beyond. Our life changes. And I think it's it's challenging for the human brain to think, I've been doing this for the last you know, 15 years. Why is it not working anymore? And you're like, because you've changed. You've evolved. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. We just need to give you the right sort of recommendations for now for where you're yeah. at and keep evolving as we go forward. Exactly. Yeah, so, and, yeah, and there are these phases that we're meant to go through. And so let's, let's look at uh, – um, I wanted to – sort of get a bit more of a grip on on our androgens and testosterone and mm-hmm. you know all the the metabolites of that can you explain a little bit like we produce um our, some of our androgens in our adrenals some of us in our ovaries some of us in testes for men um where does all this come from and where does that sort of fit in the picture you've got all these metabolites with big names like androsterone and etiocalanolone and you know dht and 5-alpha estronodiol which i can never say um, you know, all of these things, the picture of androgens, can you just, in two minutes, Lisa, go. <laughs> cool. All right. 
So we um, <laughs> we try and divide <laughs> our androgens into kind of two categories to make it really easy to zoom in and zoom out on them. So we put testosterone and DHT and then testosterone metabolites, which is the androstenediol markers over here. And then we utilize the DHEA, the etioclanolone and the androsterone as more adrenal because that's really kind of where the main metabolism sits. I can zoom further into that and go, oh, it's all kind of a bit, bit like this, all yeah. over the show and connected, Let's but that's kind of that. a nice way of doing that for the brain. So DHEA and the etioclanolone androsterone, we really use as markers of overall adrenal function of what you can evaluate them in context of each other to kind of guess how much DHEA the body is actually making and utilizing. Yep. Bearing in mind that DHEA can get bound up and put in storage in sulfur form, or it can be converted through to the etioclanolone and androsterone. So with our, I guess, reports, we don't so much dive into the what happens where, more so the why, so that you've got the application of, okay, those are out. I need to really double down on stress tactics. I need to, you know, gratitude journal. I need to meditate. I need to do some exercise in my day. I need to create a space for moi, some time for me, particularly if you are a mum, you need some space for you. Don't forget you. Um, I need to find a way of um, moving or being that is restorative every single day in some way, shape or form or being creative. Things that help to either move through the stress response or take it off the table. Then we're looking at our testosterone. Um, so our production of our androgens, mainly from our ovaries, testosterone precursors estrogen, actually. The body converts testosterone into estrogen. Mm-hmm. Um our, our most potent of our androgens from this side of the fence is DHT. So I like to describe testosterone and DHT as being like um, Eric Barner and the Incredible Hulk. Mm. <laughs> the DHT is the kind of angry version of testosterone. So um, in women, it tends to cause that kind of hormonal acne around the jawline. You get that sort of hirsutism, pubic hair growth around the chin, the whiskers you need to pluck that don't go away, mm. um, the ones around the nipple, sometimes the snail trail from the belly button to kind of the nape. Um, but that's sort of more of the angry presentation of testosterone, whereas testosterone itself is, is sort of just slightly beneath it in terms of its potency. When mm-hmm. I say potency, its ability to grab onto the cell and say, yo, I'm here. I'm You're going to do yeah. your job. Okay. We're going to do this testosterone thing. Let's go. Um, so we kind of have a look at evaluation of both of those. If there is more DHT than testosterone, we're generally looking at more of a inflammation, blood sugar dysregulation picture, in which case we'll dive into the questionnaire and the other information that the person has given us to figure out where the focus needs to be. Um, there are other things like epitestosterone that we can evaluate. Um, you predominantly used to look for uh, exogenous hormones. So the application of steroids coming from outside of the body inwards. We have had the odd case um, where hubby is using TRT or testosterone yep. replacement therapy and it's transdermal and it's rubbed off onto... Ooh. Yeah, it's quite interesting, Um, but we'll see a really weird ratio. And you're like, why is EPT really high in comparison to testosterone? And they use this in the sporting round to look for doping, basically. Wow. Um, So we're kind of looking for that. Is it the reverse form, that inactive form, the EPT? It's kind of weak estrogen. It's more of a a hallmark of extra coming in from outside that you didn't want. And that's what's peaking up the levels. It's not your body's own production that's doing it. Because in theory, if we're making it ourselves, we would have testosterone EPT. Mm. Um, and then the 5-alpha androstenediol and the 5-beta androstenediol are the breakdown metabolites of testosterone in the body. Again, they're not as potent, but we do look at them to see, is the body going down the 5-alpha reductase pathway, which 
we sort of have a look at a couple of different markers to evaluate that because it's not clear cut by using just one marker. It's more of an indicator of. Um, but when we have that, we tend to look at more of a pro-inflammatory picture. Maybe there's an absence of zinc. Um, maybe we need more antioxidants to help to prevent that because that can tend to produce more of those angry androgen symptoms. Um, and to give you context on this, we can get cases of polycystic ovarian syndrome, yeah. which the hallmark of this condition is high testosterone, yeah. that they've got none of the um, high testosterone symptoms. Mm. The only symptoms are anovulatory cycles and maybe weight gain resistance or weight weight uh, loss resistance. And you'll find that they're pushing more down the better pathway. They'll have high T, but they'll have better pathway production. Oh, mm. not, the, not the A pathway. Yeah. Not the alpha, by the way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's with polycystic. So polycystic ovarian syndrome, you often have insulin resistance, um, yeah, and more of an inflammatory picture, uh, weight gain around the middle and things like that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, if you put um, PCOS in context, it's the name's confusing. It's you don't have cysts on your ovaries. You have high yeah. androgens that inhibit ovulation, and it is a syndrome. It's a set of symptoms. Yeah, so you can and do we get it a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah. And you can have cystic ovaries, which is a very different condition to polycystic ovarian syndrome. They're two different things. I feel it needs to be relabeled as androgen excess as a condition because that's what shows through is a high androgen picture, which leads to a whole bunch of symptoms. Quick question. Um, Mm. I've I've got a a client with a hysterectomy, um, Mm. had cancer stage one. They took the whole lot out, uh, left left the ovaries. But has androgen dominance now. It's showing all the signs of androgen dominance. Mm. So it's interesting to see what an Eve panel will be like for her in the sense that is that adrenal. Um, we adrenal haven't got side of it. producing yeah. centers. So with, with polycystic ovarian syndrome, the largest chunk of it is blood sugars regulation. But bear in mind, your blood sugars impact your stress hormones. Yeah. Um, they impact your inflammation. They impact your mood regulation, your microbiome function. Like We're all very interconnected. But there are cases we have seen where blood sugar balance is actually not the primary driver. High stress is the primary driver, like yep. huge stress load on the body. Or, and that makes sense in a way because that's the glucocorticoid, you know, the cortisol, which eee, there we go. Yeah, impacts the um, blood sugar regulation anyway. So it's not necessarily from eating too many bad foods. And then people can come to us and they might say, on the flip side of that, I've been diagnosed with it. And we're like, your androgens are really low. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Let's go and get you back to your GP and get that checked out because you may have moved through it or maybe you were diagnosed um, and it was a false positive because they only looked at ultrasound. They didn't actually look at your androgen levels. They just had a look at an ultrasound of what your ovary. On the ultrasound, when you look at the an, an ovulatory ovary, it will have a bunch of cysts on it, hence yeah. the name. Um, because the brain's like, I'm trying to stimulate all these follicles because one of you guys needs to ovulate. And the follicles are like, mm, we're trying. We're really trying. We've stimulated a whole bunch of them, but none of us are going to win the race. So no one's going to ovulate. Mm. And so you kind of get this um, false positive when it comes to the diagnosis. This person's wow. trying to do, you know, blood sugar lowering dietary techniques when actually the remedy for them is you need to eat more. You're under eating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just stop over, training so much. And... the other side of yeah. polycystic ovarian syndrome where yeah. you're often talking about insulin resistance and getting your carbs down and things like that. You got it. So pretty important to know. <laughs> okay, so that, that that's really, really good. And just as a last question, so guys, you know, who are heading, is there such a thing as andropause? Um, men who are losing their testosterone, you know, 
40s, 50s, 60s, whenever they start to decline, and a lot of that's genetic and a lot of it's lifestyle and things. Um, <clears throat> is there, you know, such a thing as andropause, and is it a good idea to go and get this sort of thing checked? Obviously, you guys don't do the testosterone replacement. That needs to be done by a doctor. Mm. Um, but I think I think this is an under-tested, under you know, we could we could be optimizing men's health a lot better, I think, if we were not just just not just testosterone. We need to look at the whole picture. Once we've been talking about here, how's yeah. your progesterone? How's your yes. other things? Speaking my are language. You, yeah, are you talking turning too much into estrogens? You know, a lot of guys who are taking testosterone, only testosterone, and then it's making a whole lot of inflammatory estrogens, and they're wondering why they're developing man boobs and you know, love handles. And it's like, well, uh, did anyone say that they, you know, aromatized down into estrogens? Oh, no, I just thought I'd take more yeah. to get more testosterone. It's a little bit more complicated than that. I think it's um, men's health is something that we are starting to really start to talk about, which is great because yeah. low testosterone in particular for men has huge mental health huge implications mental. in particular. Yeah, um, depression and anxiety are, are the consequences and when you look at I guess worst case scenario they are the more likely ones to have the negative outcomes when it comes to depression with suicide risk yeah. so it's really important to think about it in terms of andropause it's a real thing um, so give you context human body um, men are a bit more straightforward but we'll grow until we're 25-ish the body has this huge burst of growth hormone and testosterone which helps to develop um, for men, that those male-like characteristics, the broadened shoulders, the big chest, the deep manly mm. voice, the kind of extra hair growth in their bodies. And that kind of really helps to influence um, their bodies, very similarly to how estrogen influences women. It's really important for our insulin sensitization, which means our blood sugar management and our weight. Um, it's really important for things like thyroid function, really important for our brain health, really important for, um, you know, yeah, yeah. so many different things that's important for but I think uh, because men don't get that monthly scorecard, they can their bodies put up with a lot more. And so classic case would be, you know, 45-year-old guy rocks into my clinic and they're wondering why they've got all this extra weight and insomnia and anxiety. And they've come to us because they're kind of wanting to get on top of it before they hit 50 because that's the kind of hallmark of I'm getting old. <laughs> You're going to have that <laughs> midlife crisis awareness piece. And quite often they'll have low testosterone as a response. Yeah. And it's because they're just not eating well. They're not resting well. Um, they're not looking after their gut health. They think they are bulletproof. And you're like, in reality, you need to do exactly the same things that our women need to do. But women are the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. We are more sensitive to the environmental change because we carry the generation that comes through. Yeah. We are yeah. the bodies that make and grow the humans. You are part of that equation. It will never change. Um, and men's health is very, very important for fertility. Yeah. I know we talk about women in particular being the primary, but it takes two to tango to the point yeah. where there are studies to show that, um, you know, a father can pass on anxiety to his child. It's yeah. not about the mother. If the epigenetic expression at the time of conception is twisted towards anxiety, that child can have anxiety, even though mum doesn't. Um, they play a huge role in our health and our well-being as a generational kind of step yep. forward or evolution. But for them in particular, it can have a whole host of implications. If you think about um, you know, our immune system function, all those kind of things, it, it's really important for men to address their health. The cool thing is, is they are a little bit um, simpler to amend in terms of, you know, resistance-based training, well-balanced diet, yeah. good restoration, balancing the nervous system. They seem to turn around a lot faster yeah. than what women do. We're a bit more 
complicated, which is cool. Yeah. We're like the Ferrari. They're the Toyota yeah, yeah. Hiace. That's okay. I love it. Um, but it doesn't mean it's any less important, um, yeah. especially when you think about um, mental health in particular and what that means for their relationships and what that means for their children and what that means for their job capacity and their sense of fulfillment in life and purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got, you know, like we mentioned earlier, the xenoestrogens in the environment and how they're impacting our men and so on and so forth. Uh, Lisa, you've just been wonderful. I'm, uh, I could talk to you for hours and I would love to have you on again um, when you've got time. Um, we can do e-wellness testing. I've got them in my shop now and um, I would love to help with anybody wanting to do that. And um, as you can see, some of the science behind it and what Lisa is all about Um it's really fascinating stuff. It's empowering. And the supplement, the, the things that we can throw in the mix to help, you know, push things in the right direction, if you like, and optimize things and make sure that you're doing everything that you should be doing. Um, Lisa, any final words that you want to, you know, share or where can people reach you, find you, um, you know, all of yeah, that so sort of good stuff? You can find us at Eve Wellness. Um, have a Google for us and find our website or our Instagram um, we have a philosophy around making things fun. So it's always a little bit quirky and educational at the same time. I would say to anyone listening to this who's felt overwhelmed by this conversation, note that the basics are so, so powerful. Just mm. drinking enough water, getting your regular hours of sleep and getting good restorative sleep, eating balanced meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner will make a huge difference to your well-being. You don't have to do the extremity to get to a good state of health. You can just start with the basics. Once you've got those down, that can be a really good place to start looking at testing things from. Because um, quite often, a lot of the time in our clinical practice and with our e-reports, what we get you people to do is those basics because mm. they make such a huge difference. So if you fast forward to the very end and you just want to know what to do, balance your plate with whole foods, bit of carbs, bit of protein, bit of fat, and lots of veggies. Make sure you're getting regular movement, whatever that looks like for you. Focus in on sleep and set aside some time each day for something that is mindful, even if it's just 10 to 20 minutes, that's all it takes. Yeah, those basics, those foundations are at the core of every damn thing. But we always want the magic stuff. So um, always. we can layer with that sort of stuff. But yes, Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. Thank You've you. been absolute uh, a blessing to talk to. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a treat. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com.